If it's your uh, first time, my name is James, and uh, welcome to The Grove. Uh, we're really uh, glad to have you here, and we're going to have a great time this morning. Uh, kind of a, a fun weekend. Normally, we try to create some kind of fake buzz because it's spring break weekend, and we want people to choose to come to church. But today, we have real buzz, right? So it's, it's like no more fake news. We have real news. Uh, we're going to uh, go through, if you've got a program on the way in and you're reading on the inside... Uh, we're actually going to be talking about uh, like a, a church-wide uh, season of prayer and fasting, and I'm going to kind of introduce that this morning. So I kind of am telling you how this movie's going to end before it starts. Uh, so it's like, but if you've read the book, uh, then you probably know most of how all the sermons end, right? Like you should repent and turn to Jesus. But uh, <laughs> The Grove um, is about uh, 10 years old. We're going to be 10 years old this fall. Uh, and we've met mostly in this middle school. We meet in different places uh, in town during different times when we can't be in this middle school. Uh, but this has just kind of become like our home. But uh, for us, um, uh, one of our advantages is that we've seen our church as a church of people, uh, a church of people that goes to places, right? And we aren't in, like, we don't own things. Uh, we're just kind of passing through this world and having as big an impact as we can on the way. Um, so we have actually started having a conversation with another church, though, about a church merger. Uh, and so I'm going to back up and tell you that story, but I didn't even know this was a thing up till like six months ago. Um, and it's actually a kind of a huge thing, and it's happening a lot more, and a lot more than you could uh, possibly imagine. Like there are uh, there's around 325,000 uh, churches in the United States, right? And you chose this one. Um, <laughs> there are, uh, of the 325,000, uh, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes, but between 85 and 90% of those are uh, what we would call in trouble. Uh, like they are de in a decline that represents like a fast close coming. Uh, and there's different stats that say like, 75 churches or 100 churches or something like this. It's somewhere between 3,500 and 5,000 uh, churches are closing their doors permanently in the United States every year. Uh, and it's just the, there's some, like if you just look at uh, the way sociologists look at it, it's like the decline of, of the institutional Christian religion is imminent. And you can see that in our own town. There's old churches that people are using as houses. I have a good friend from growing up that their family bought a church and renovated it and it's uh, where they live. They're Christians too, so it's kind of funny. But uh, I'm like, do you just stay home on Sunday mornings or what? Like, but <laughs> do you have people over? Do you sing songs? <laughs> but, uh, do you take an offering when people come over? But anyways, <laughs> um, thankfully I've never asked them those questions. But uh, the, this, what the church is in the United States is changing at such a fast rate. It's just our culture is changing at such a fast rate that it becomes a difficult time to exist uh, as a church if you're used to things. One of our advantages is not having space. Our other advantage is not having history. Uh, for most of our life, when we do things, it's the first time we've ever done them. So nobody gets mad, right? <laughs> like nobody says, you know, my grandpa donated that carpet that's underneath the stage that keeps it from rattling too much. No, you know, nobody even cares. We treat that carpet like trash and nobody gets mad, <laughs> right? Like... Uh, so we are able to, we have a couple of advantages. So I'm going to tell you the story, then I kind of want to talk about um, some of who we are, and then I kind of want to talk about the process, and then I want to talk about what our role is in the process, and by the end I'm hoping that we can talk about what it means to pray and what it means to fast and what it means to depend on the Lord for those, those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to start with this though, okay? Can we put up that Romans verse? Uh, this is Romans chapter 1. This is one of those verses that if you don't like it, like uh, you just don't like Jesus. Uh, Romans is written by a guy named Paul, who is one of the major, very early church leaders. And he writes this letter to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome was struggling a bit because uh, they had kicked all the Jewish people out of the city, and then all the Jewish people came back. And so there was just the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish people were still going to church, and then the Jewish people came back, and they're like, okay, I want my chair back, right? Like, literally my Sunday morning chair, but also I, I want my role back. I used to volunteer in this way, and I want that back. And other people have been filling in those roles from conflict. Uh, and so the, at the very beginning, he talks to them. It's a very long letter that's theologically thick. So, uh, but this is at the beginning where he says, 
Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So that's why I kind of showed you that history so you understand why he's bringing up their racial differences. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And I'm going to explain that in a second. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, is it, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Righteous or righteousness, uh, here's what that means. It's kind of a holy word or a Bible word or a Bill and Ted's kind of word next summer. Uh, but it is, uh, uh, it is doing, like theologically, it is doing the right things with the right motivation. All the time we do the right things without the right motivation. Or <laughs> we have the right motivation it ends up being the wrong thing, right? You've been in both those places. So righteousness is that experience of doing the right things, uh, that, some of us, that rare experience of managing to do the right thing and have the right motivation behind that. And so this says, for, in, for the gospel is power, meaning for the Christian life, a lot of us say it's the best life, but it really, the Bible says it's the most powerful way to live is following Jesus, and that is because the gospel brings about that power, and the gospel is that righteousness. The gospel is also a kind of a Bible-y kind of word. Nobody uses that word. But the gospel is, what it means, uh, is the story of God sending his son in order to die for our sins and then resurrecting from the dead to live eternally, showing that God holds power over your sin and your sin can't be in the presence of God because your sin is, by definition, the destruction of relationship with God. And so if you have sin, you've broken that relationship. And what God is saying is, I can overcome what you've done to this relationship. This is the gospel. This is the power of God, which brings about salvation because God bridges the gap that we create between us and God. And then it says this little thing at the end, the righteous will live by faith. What that means is the people who do the right things for the right reasons, with the right motivations, will live by faith. And living by faith is kind of a strange thing. Like, it's, it's the thing you say when you're young and you're eating a lot of ramen, I'm just living by faith, right? Like, and you're incurring a ton of student debt, uh, that is, or student loan debt, you're living by faith that someday someone will hire you uh, so you can pay that off. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that works out for you, but... Uh, but there is this, living by faith is this trust that the things that I can't control are being like held by God who will always act in my favor. Who will not always act like my waiter and do what I want him to do or when I want him to do what I want him to do, but God will always act in my favor. It's kind of like being at a restaurant and you order something and they bring something different and they're like, trust me, this is better. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, 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 take that back. I want what I want. And what God says is, well, that's a, a really terrible choice. And living by faith is saying to your waiter or your waitress, bring me the best thing this restaurant has, which is a habit. I, if you've ever been out with me, I do that all the time. Like, what's your favorite thing? Bring me that. But then I have to say, I'm not into steak and lobster, right? Like it's like as if they're living, living on commission or something, right? They're like, oh, you wanted six plates of steak and lobster. Like, no, that's not. But anyways, if you want to have a good time, quit, or quit looking at menus. Like the rest of your life, it is wasted time. You know, this is aside from the sermon. Please stop looking at menus, all right? Say to your server, what is your favorite thing? Bring that to me. Don't tell me what it is. Just bring it out here and it's going to be awesome, Right? If they go, mm, get up and walk out. <laughs> right? That means nothing on the menu is good in that place. All right? But if they just spark up, oh, it's going to be a good lunch. Right? I genuinely do that all the time. It drives people crazy. But uh, <laughs> if we're living by faith, it doesn't mean we don't ask, it doesn't mean we don't request. It doesn't mean we don't have desires or wants or hopes or dreams. What living by faith means is a trust that whatever comes, God is good. Just like Heather prayed a second ago. God is good, and God always works 
for the benefit of the people who love him. And so for the role of the Christian is not as much to um, figure out and do like the perfect things. Like some people think like the will of God cared about what socks you put on this morning. It's, it's much more about, uh, for my, what I believe, the will of God is much more about God wanting the very best, and by best he means the very most powerful life that is available to you in Christ, which you live in by faith. So, uh, I just need to say that first, and now I'm going to tell you a story. Last November, I'm talking on the phone to my friend Randy. Randy is kind of my boss. He's the superintendent uh, of our conference in our denomination. Our denominations across the United States. Uh, there's around 100 churches across the United States. 50 of them are in Oregon and Washington. We're a weird denomination, right? Most denominations only have a few churches up here with all the heathens. Uh, we are basically centered in heathen utopia up here. When uh, I'm talking to him, and we, I'm on a couple of committees, and I have a, quite a good relationship with Randy, I really appreciate what he's done for us as a church, what he's done for me as a pastor, uh, and just as a, as a guy. Uh, and Randy, I'm talking to him, and we're talking about, we have, of these 50 churches, 23 of them have less than 50 in attendance on a Sunday morning. 23. And what that means is uh, there's a financial reality to those churches uh, when these 20, this group of 23 in our denomination, that means their next pastor, if it isn't already, likely won't be a full-time pastor. And so they'll have someone that has work outside of uh, pastoring, which is not good or bad, it's just a change in their expectations. Whereas you might have people who grew up in this church and are 60, 70, 80 years old, and they remember back when our church was full of life and vigor and it was exciting, that's not their reality. And the pastor would do this, this, and this, and that's not their reality. And so a lot of these churches end up with younger pastors that are trying to get these old folks on Facebook uh, because that's the only way they know how to communicate. And you can imagine the conflict that happens in those churches. And so I said to Randy, just in passing, you know, if Albany Evangelical is one of those churches, I'd love for them to call us uh, rather than just like running that building in the ground or giving it away to, you know, some other denomination or something crazy like that. And Randy said, you know, you should give Brad a call. I didn't know Brad at all. Um, I mean, I, I know him. He lives like a mile from here. Uh, no, a mile from my house, two miles from here. And, uh, and it is, uh, he was the pastor of Albany Evangelical Church downtown. So I shot him an email. Uh, we met at a meeting and said, hey, let's grab coffee. And we grabbed a coffee and I said, hey, what about this thing? And Brad had actually said, and this is, you know, I feel like I'm dissing on Randy, but I love Randy and this is just something that's funny about Randy. Brad had said, yeah, I talked to Randy about our, us possibly partnering like back in January. <laughs> and Randy thought, oh, yeah, whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, but it, it is a thing that he was kind of wondering, and I was kind of wondering, and I don't know what that looks like. And then Randy bought us both a book. And he, Randy, this is why I love Randy, he buys books, doesn't tell you that he bought them, he just has them shipped to your house by Amazon, right? <laughs> Which, if you're wondering, is an awesome thing to do to your friends, right? And not with books, I mean with weird stuff, right? <laughs> and then you've got a husband and wife going, did you order this? No, I did not. You, I know, don't lie to me, Right? You can usually, you know, if your friends are having a bit of a tough time, you can spark their relationship for them. I'm just, we're just going to sit in that for a minute. But you can... <laughs> okay, we're going to move on now. <laughs> but you can, uh, he sends us this book on church mergers, and it's called Be Better Together. And so way back in November, uh, Pastor Brad and I started getting together and having coffee uh, dreaming about the future, uh, worrying about the future, uh, spending a lot of time in prayer together, just trying to figure those things, like what, what is it exactly that this could be or could look like? And so um, Brad uh, and I began to let people know. And uh, two days after Christmas, we actually had a leadership council meeting. The leadership council, if you don't know, is the organizational and administrative governing body of this church, just from the way, if you're used to having like elder or an elder board, that's not the way we function. Uh, we're, we're, that, that's kind of Baptist and we're kind of Methodist. 
just in our traditions. And so there, um, this leadership council meeting, we actually brought it up and we're like, hey, this is something we're praying about. And here's 99 reasons why it won't work. And here's one why it could. And so we started praying, and I, I seriously gave it a 1% chance of success. We had a really successful meeting uh, with them, and I doubled the chances of success to two. Uh, <laughs> um, but what we started talking about uh, was uh, this joining of churches. Of those 325 churches in the United States that are existing, 2% of them are merging every year. 2% of them. And so there's not just the attrition of churches that are closing, but it's churches joining together. Uh, another friend of mine who pastors in Wenatchee, uh, they were a church plant, 10 years old, and two tiny Baptist church merged and gave their building to this church plant, gave the extra, the, the junkier of the two, uh, to a church plant, uh, which for them, they had been meeting in an elementary school. It was like, uh, you know, hitting the lottery. It was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, and so these churches merging and this kind of repurposing of buildings is something that is happening. And so we started having conversations about it. Uh, if you were here, uh, I actually uh, went over and, and spoke at their church one week. I did like the announcements here and drove over there uh, and uh, I spoke at their church on, you know, on a Sunday morning. And then I had like a question and answer with them. Uh, we had a meeting between our leadership council and, and some other uh, boards uh, and their boards and leadership councils. And their church is a lot smaller. And so if you're, uh, there's a lot of duplication of people that are on three or four different boards. Uh, they are, and a, and a lot of the same last name on a lot of those boards. And so they, uh, um, uh, we had these meetings and then they visited us one Sunday. And uh, that was one of the coolest Sundays we've had, like uh, probably top 10 for Sundays we've had in the history of our church. But let me, like, and this is not in my notes. Uh, actually, I have a whole sermon. We're going to see how that goes. Um, but we have, what happened on that Sunday, I want you to know, is people, we had, we did like little kind of showing them the ministry highlights. They came in. There was, uh, they, had, they had a high attendance that week of like 41 or 48, like more than they would normally have on a Sunday because they really wanted to see what was going on. Uh, and so we had some people in places on purpose to kind of show them around and let them know they showed up early. And, uh, but the just regular people like you guys were showing up being like, I was going to get there early to make sure I could greet them, to make sure it was an awesome Sunday. And then we came into worship and every, like, there was a high percentage of people who were like, yeah, I am here for this today. And this is going to happen awesomely today, Right. And it was kind of funny because then people were like messaging the band and talking to Heather and being like, you guys were on today. And, and what really happens is the people who are leading you in, in worship can only be like one or two steps ahead of you, right? If they're 25 steps ahead of you, you're like, whoa, wait a second. Like, I don't know if I can go out. I don't know if I can be that. I don't know if I can go there, right? If anyone's leading you. If you're somebody's leading you on a hike and they're a mile and a half ahead of you, that, you don't really appreciate that leadership. <laughs> right? But if you are a fast hiker, or if you show up like tuned in, like this is going to be a good worship day, then it's easy for the leaders to say, hey, you want to take the next step? Do you want to go a little further? Do you want to do like this? And then you think, oh, my guide is awesome. And it's not. It's that you showed up wanting it to be awesome, right? So uh, it, it was a Sunday where a large number of people showed up going, this is going to be awesome, Right? It's totally like easy to replicate. You show up and go, this is going to be awesome, right? So that if you have a Sunday where like the band isn't having a good week, you're like, it doesn't even matter. This is going to be awesome, you know? And then you start saying, we're going to lead you, band. Just follow us, right? <laughs> Which genuinely, genuinely happens when you start saying, no, band, we're here to worship. Uh, and I know you've had a rough morning because, you know, there was a flood or the school was freezing or in this case, overheating, uh, and we're going to do this together. That was one of those Sundays. And it happens every now and then, and it's incredible, but it's you. So then uh, last Sunday, I went back over to their church, and we brought over the chairs of our boards, and we had a Q&A with them, uh, and they asked a whole bunch of questions, and there were people in tears. There are people in tears of excitement and people in tears. There have been people in tears at their church of loss. Uh, because it is a real thing for them uh, to actually stare down, uh, this is what we were hoping would happen, and this isn't 
what seems to be happening. We prayed these prayers, and God didn't apparently answer the prayers that I wanted them to or in the way that I wanted him to. And so there's a sense of loss. And then on Tuesday night, they had a leadership council meeting, and they've decided to hold a congregational vote, and that's how our system works with this kind of a process, is it will come down to a two-thirds congregational vote, meaning two-thirds of the people that are present in their church service uh, that are members on April 7, the first Sunday in April, uh, will have a vote, and they'll decide if they want to And the technical legal jargon is their church will dissolve as a church and they'll give their assets to the Grove. And then the next week, we will have a vote here on a Sunday morning that is largely ceremonial but very spiritual uh, to receive their membership as members in our church. Uh, And then then we're just bigger. It's kind of a strange thing because we actually, uh, we don't fit over there yet and so it'll take us all summer it actually becomes increasingly more difficult of uh, doing this. Let me uh, show you why. This is um, uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, appears to assume three things. So when you give uh, to the needy, and he talks about giving, a few verses later, when you pray, when you fast. It's this three things that Jesus throws in there, right? Uh, and these are, he, sa- he doesn't say if. He says when. And so there's an assumption of your generosity, an assumption of your praying, and an assumption of your fasting. If all this murder stuff goes through, we're really going to focus on that first one uh, because we've got some renovations that we need to do. Uh, We actually want to put in an elevator in that building. They don't have. It's not as ADA compliant as I wish it was. Uh, and not just for that, but when we were in that Q&A time, there was a woman, an older woman, who said, when you're talking about renovations, and by older woman, I mean... <laughs> she said, when you're doing renovations, are you going to do an elevator? And I'm like, I sure hope we do an elevator, because we have people that we love that we want to serve in the best way possible. And she goes, yes, thank you! <laughs> right, like, which is just, if you, you imagine, it was awesome. I was like, there we go. I'm not campaigning, but I like what, what we're doing here. But we're going to focus on the second two, and not because the first one's not important, but I, the second two are kind of where we want to be this morning in prayer and in fasting. So I'm going to talk about prayer for a second, and then I'm going to talk about uh, fasting. There's a couple of verses uh, in the New Testament, like in uh, Matthew chapter 7, this is later on in this same sermon, um, where Uh, Jesus actually says, when you pray, like ask uh, for what you want and seek it out and knock on the door and the door will be open for you. For everyone who believes and asks will receive. Uh, Matthew 21, 22 says the same thing. If you believe and you pray, you will receive. And if we take those verses out of context, which some people like to do, it it tends to say like it's it's more like like philosophically it's new ageism or there's a book called the secret uh, and it's it's this is what the secret is you put it out there in the universe and you receive it back kind of a karma kind of deal and karma is a terrible thing because uh, we believe in the gospel uh what uh, the reason karma is terrible is because if you put out negativity you should receive negativity and uh, what the gospel says is you put out negativity and then that's forgiven and you receive good gifts from god uh, but th- so this if you take those out of context and we can philosophically talk about that, but we're not going to today. But if you take those out of context, uh, you end up with a a theology that's based on half of a sentence instead of a holistic look at what Jesus teaches. And so I want to just look at what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, all right? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, 5 says this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for crying out loud, uh, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, which would be like their big churches in town. And, And they love to pray out on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So the people who are praying as a demonstration of how holy they are, what they want is to be seen as holy. And what Jesus says is, that's what they're getting, right? And so what they're really asking, seeking, knocking for is, people, please think I'm holy. And and yeah, we think you're holy. We really don't care. Uh, But Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, and this is, not your actual human father in the context, it's, it's God the Father, um, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you because what you actually want there is intimacy with God. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. Uh, I just, 
This about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, I just think by this time Jesus is getting exasperated. Ah, oh, for crying out loud. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Uh, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Uh, I'm a pastor. I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and this is a pastor theme verse. Use less words for crying out loud. You only have 11 minutes left on the red stopwatch. Like, just get to the point. Jesus is saying, God already knows what you want. If you are a parent and you have kids that ask for things, and when they ask for things, there's a long preamble before it, and you know what they're going to ask, and you know the preamble is not going to change your mind, all right? I just want to go through a few examples of the trustworthiness that I deserve from you, mom and dad. A few examples of the times when I showed up where I was supposed to, you know, it really doesn't affect me. You are not going to that party, right? Like, uh, but when you have those things and you see what is done, and when you have, with a, I like this relationship, it's a good parent with a good child relationship, that relationship is strengthened through honesty and communion and closeness. So we pray. And we actually pray and we pray and we fast. There's another example in Mark chapter 9 uh, where there's a, a boy with a demon uh, that is going into some kind of strange convulsions. And the disciples try to cast the demons out and it doesn't work and then Jesus does. And the, and the disciples say, Jesus, what the heck? Like, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, well, that actually requires much prayer. Uh, later on, it talks about prayer and fasting. Uh, or different manus later manuscripts of the Bible say that prayer and fasting. But there's these times when this actually matters. Uh, this, it actually goes on, the next verse I want to show you just from the, uh, the message translation, because it's a little more of an earthy translation uh, in Matthew 6, uh, 14 and 15. So this is not the NIV, it's not like your regular Bible. It says, in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. Like, you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your, your part, you actually cut yourself off from God's part. What that's saying is, we want to live, if we want to live by faith, we want to step into this unknowingness, then we're responsible for righteousness. We're responsible for our integrity. We're responsible for our own Christian walk so that God can do his part. So when we're praying and we're praying about this church adoption process or a, a, a stuck or struggling church joining with, like they're joining us as a leading church, then it's actually, we're, what we're actually praying for is not like that it will happen, which I would love for it to happen. I also am praying that it will happen. But as a group, we're actually going to be praying for God's clarity and God's direction and God's empowerment and his strengthening and that he will do what is best for us, and that we will trust in the things that we can't control that God will continue to move us forward. That's prayer. Here's fasting. Prayer is the one you're like, oh yeah, maybe I can do this, right? Here's the one that we're going to push a bit. In Daniel chapter 10, um, and here's why we're going to do fasting. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, and this is in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Daniel who loves God it serves God in a way that's, like, if you want encouragement, read the book of Daniel, the first half. The second half is a lot of end times visions. Maybe also read that just to terrify yourself. But um, in Daniel chapter 10, which is the second half, uh, he actually receives this vision from the Lord that is disturbing to him, that is scary about the future. And so he starts to fast. He doesn't eat any uh, choice uh, wines or desserts or choice meats. He, he kind of lives off... Uh, vegetables. We commonly call this the Daniel fast today, but uh, he doesn't, uh, it, it also says he doesn't wear any perfumes. Uh, they hadn't like invented shampoo yet, so they were just kind of covering the stench instead of getting rid of the stench. You know, science is good, but um, so he just, he just kind of goes into this mourning state, and then an angel of the Lord appears before him. And, and this is, a, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, this particular angel is what we call is a fighting angel or a battle angel. These are like the little boy's favorite angels, the ones with swords, right? Not the ones with harps, <laughs> the ones with swords. <laughs> and he actually says, I was coming to you 
But I was delayed by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And then when you prayed, I received more uh, support and we were able to come to you. If you just read through that, you're like, wow, there's somebody in Persia. But in the context, what that means is uh, when we talk about a kingdom of this earth, it's referring to uh, kingdoms of the devil and demons. And there is a hierarchy, apparently, and this might make you uncomfortable, but there's a hierarchy among demonic forces to where there is one that was a prince of the region of Persia. And he actually was resisting somehow spiritual victory from happening until Daniel entered into prayer and fasting. What God was trying to do was delayed and then moved forward because of Daniel's prayer and fasting. It's not something that we want to really talk about because what we want to do is go through a book and find out the steps and do the leadership gifts and do these things and here's our process and then we get to it because of our own wisdom and our own understanding. But what the Bible seems to teach is that our, our fight is not against, and this is straight out of Ephesians, our fight is not against earthly powers. Our fight is not against people who are in favor or not in favor of the things that we want to do moving our church forward. Our fight is against uh, real spiritual forces that exist in this world because we are trying to do real spiritual work in this world. And there's a connection point between the physical material world and the spiritual world that is accessed through prayer and fasting. Now, I want to be really clear that when we talk about uh, opposition, I'm talking about spiritual opposition. That does not mean people who are opposed to my ideas are spiritually on the other side. <laughs> All right? Uh, we are not turning those people into, or, or and when anyone, please do not turn people who are against your ideas into spiritually bad people or people with poor motivations because they disagree with you. This is why our political system is crumbling today, but that's a whole other thing, right? Like when we think that the people who disagree with us have a poor motivation, then we are not able to even have a conversation with them, and we've actually undercut the whole process of trying to love. So that's not what I'm saying, right? What I'm hoping happens is someone takes what I just said out of context and doesn't talk about what I did and say, see, everyone who disagrees with James, he thinks they're demon-possessed, right? So what I love is when people take my words out of context and run to weird places with them. So there's an opportunity for you to do that. So I also just told people to send rude gifts to couples so that it sparks weird things in their relationship. So use that too, but... <laughs> oh, boy. Can I go to the next verses? I think that'd be a good time. All right, so... <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives this teaching on uh, fasting, right after the teaching on prayer. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do. Jesus does not like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, and this would mean, in our culture, have a shower, shampoo your hair, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father. And you might have recognized these words from before. Who is unseen? And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Because when you're fasting, what do you actually want? Do you want a demonstration to the world, like look how holy we are? Or do you want a demonstration of your dependency on God between you and God? Just to be sure, what fasting is, when it's, just because I want to make sure everybody understands, when Jesus is using that words, uh, those words, is going out without, uh, and usually, food. Sometimes they would go without eating altogether. Sometimes people would go without eating uh, just choice foods. Maybe they'd live off of vegetables only, right? Which some of you are like, might as well not eat anything, right? Uh, but it really is a consumption thing that's happening. And, and culturally, some of the things between our culture and their culture are different, right? C food in their culture was not the same as food in our culture. We prepare meals in, you know, 30 to 45 seconds. You pull it out of the freezer. Sometimes annoyingly, you have to take it out of the wrapper and slide it in that little silver tube and then put it in there, right? And this is what we call a meal. Uh, they would not see that as what a meal is. For them, a meal was an hours-long production 
where you would gather together and go through a process that would create gratitude and thankfulness in you for God's provision to you. Then you would eat that meal with people. You would not eat it by yourself or certainly not in your car. That is such a strange cultural thing just for us. And, and it really is like this. It really is like fasting for them is much more like their food is our binge TV watching where you sit by, you sit down and you have like this and you go through hours and hours of Netflix and the time goes by and you're just like, I didn't realize I spent six hours of my night doing this, right? And that would be much more like what their meals were like. You consume uh, Netflix or whatever, Hulu, whatever. You consume television shows in the same way they would consume food. And you think it's what you need for sustenance, but that might be part of the health issue that you're having. <laughs> I forgot to eat. I was watching all the Game of Thrones, right? When, uh, when we're talking about fasting, though, Jesus actually says you don't make a big announcement of it. You don't make this big deal of it. You actually fast in secret. You put on good clothes. You don't put it on Facebook. Hey, I'm fasting, right? It's my, one of my favorite ones is when you post on social media that you're fasting from social media, right? It's just like an invitation for people to put weird things on your wall, because you're not going to see it for a month, right? Uh, but it, it, I, I don't do that. I have a job that you can't do that. I'm a public figure. But I would encourage you to do that right after you've done the Amazon thing I suggested before. <laughs> I'm not telling any of you my address. But when, you, when you're talking about praying and fasting, what it actually does is puts you in a situation of realizing your lack of ability to control a situation. And the more you pray and the more you fast, the more you realize I have less control over this world than I thought I did. Because control over the world is kind of the goal of our culture, controlling your environment. That's why we have things like insurance to control emergencies. That's why we have a lot of relationships that we do to control our, our loneliness or our feelings. This is why we work in certain jobs. This is why people have jobs that they hate because they want to have a certain amount of impact on their environment. And then you get that one diagnosis or there's that one accident or there's that one change where another company buys your company you work for and all of a sudden you're in a redundant position and you realize you have way less control than you thought you did. And prayer and fasting actually moves us to that place of understanding we don't have control. We don't have the ability to actually hold the world in our hands, but God does. And God holds the world in his hands. And then it actually allows us to live in that. You see, I think that might be what is actually remarkable about Christianity, is that we're okay with not knowing because we live by faith because we trust that God has the best for us. And by best, we don't mean easiest or most relaxing. We mean most powerful. So we're able to relax because even though I don't know what the future holds, I know it's going to include the powerful movement of God in my world. And what do I actually want? See, Christianity is more of an invitation to wanting something different. Uh, for a lot of people, Christianity is good living, right? Like a moral living. And I think that's kind of a, a low-level understanding. Like that's a Sunday school with children level of understanding. We don't teach the children. Think about your desires and how would you like God to change your desires, right? They, don't, they desire snack, right? <laughs> but as you mature emotionally and mentally, you start to understand what do I actually want and what Jesus wants for you is freedom from that. Like Jesus actually wants to give you freedom from the way that your desires enslave you. Even the things you want that are good. You don't have to be ruled by that any longer because you can live by faith. It is the most dangerous Christianity that exists. And not that other people aren't Christians or some people are better Christians or not. I think this is the most dangerous Christianity because we approach this and we've had conversations with Albany Evangelical and we, um, 
like not just me, other leaders in our church have been in these meetings and said, we're not, we don't even, we don't, like you're asking questions that our people, we don't want them to ask. And not because we want to hide something from them, because we don't think that that's a motivator towards the kind of Christianity that we're trying to do. We don't say that, because that's so like, uh, that's kind of condescending. But what, this is what we're saying, is we don't need we see opportunities. We don't, uh, can we put up a picture of that building? Uh, this is the, the front of the building that was built by church members in like the 50s and 60s. And like some of those windows are like old school, real. If you've ever been in an old church, uh, that on the far side, that's what I call the funeral room. You know that room you go into right before you walk in if you're at a funeral for someone that you like, you're not just there because you have to be because you know someone who knows somebody, right? But you're like there because you're going to be sitting at the front and crying. That's the room you go into. They have a funeral room. Uh, Modern churches don't have that, right? They just don't care about you at all. It's awful. Uh, But see that big tower thing too? There's like a real life bell in it. And yeah, we've rung it a couple of times. (laughs) And you can ring it like whenever you want. There's just a big rope and you pull it. Like, and we'll probably let kids do that a lot. <laughs> but it is this building. Do we need that building? Nope. And, and there's even like some discussions because next summer there's going to be renovations in here. And so us as a church are going to be meeting in a new place once school ends this year. Uh, and we were like, we're more than welcome to come back in the fall. Like, it's just, we're going to be out for the summer. And there's conversations about, don't you need to be in here by the summer? And the renovations won't be done by the summer. Like, we're not meeting there in the summer. Uh, but we don't need it. We don't need anything. Because what we actually need is the gospel, which is the great story of Jesus giving his life so that you don't have to give up your life. Or maybe I say it this way, that Jesus gave his life so that you can Trust God when you give God your life. Because Jesus trusted God, and you can trust God. So here's where we're going with all this. We're actually going to ask you, as a church, to join, like I'm I'm going to say this, I'm asking you, as a church, to join with me and many other people for two weeks of prayer and fasting. Now, you just went, whoa. That don't mean don't eat for two weeks. (laughs) I want to talk about praying, then I want to talk about fasting. We want you to send a text, and you can do this right now if you want. Uh, We want you to send a text to this number uh, with the word adoption, and you'll be signed up for a daily prayer prompt in the morning, and we've set up 14 different prayer prompts. Uh, It's not very often the pastor's going to say, pull out your phone and do this, so you can go ahead and do this if you want. I have an app on my phone that's going to buzz like crazy every time you uh, do this, so I don't know what's going to happen up here, but, um, but you will... Uh, get a daily prayer prompt, uh, plus you're going to get a lock screen wallpaper thing for your phone. Uh, When you text right away, you'll get that back right away. And what we want to do is create where in the morning, every morning, hundreds of people, like hundreds of people, uh, and honestly, we have, uh, when we cleaned up our database, we have around 600 people in our database, and our attendance is a little over 300 every single week. And so when we have church, half of us are gone on any given week, right, for whatever reason. Uh, and so when we talk about this, we're talking about much more than just 300, but like up to like 600, and I'm going to start sending this to my friends and stuff too, where hundreds of people are praying for God's direction, for clarity, for empowerment, for the leadership of, of both churches, for decisions, just for us to live by faith, to be empowered in our prayers and our fasting. So you can text the word adoption to that, and you'll get that screensaver for your phone. So every time you open your phone, you'll be reminded, right? So you'll be reminded to pray seven hundred times a day uh, as, as you keep going back to your phone. Uh, but you'll also get a prayer prompt in the morning where we'll all be praying the same ways with a Bible verse and a few words just kind of directing and starting your prayers. Then we want to ask you to choose how you want to fast. Some of you, uh, like I'm, I'm going to say this clearly, you should not engage in a two-week fast if you've never fasted before. That's nuts, right? And I know your pastor is like, do the thing, that's nuts, right? You should probably talk to your doctor 
uh, if you're going to do something like that. Uh, but you can do a responsible fast uh, for yourself. And what that looks like for you will look different for different people. We have people in this church for whom fasting is a regular part of their spiritual life. And engaging in a long-term, multi-day fast is not unusual. Then we have the majority of people in this church for whom fasting sounds terrible, and they've never done that before. And so for you, I would encourage you to fast something that's a little easier, right? Uh, something like in the scripture, there's a Daniel fast where you don't eat meats and you don't eat desserts and you don't eat flavored drinks, right? Meaning you live off fruits and vegetables. Uh, for some of you, that's more challenging, right? Like I said, you're just like, forget it, I won't eat at all. But uh, there are different kinds of fasts. Here's one that might be more challenging. You would fast off, the cons- off of consumption, meaning maybe it's the consumption of media. Maybe some of you really do fast from social media or fast from uh, your phone or fast from something that's distracting. What you really are doing when you fast, and whether you fast from food and whether you fast like I'm not going to eat during daylight hours, I'll eat in the morning before the sun comes up and I won't eat again until the sun goes down. That's a Ramadan fast that's actually uh, from... uh, that's an Islamic fast, but you can do that if you want to. Um, I've actually done that before, and I talked about it, and someone asked if the, I was a youth pastor at the time. They thought I was a secret Muslim, <laughs> which was awesome. And so I encourage you to do that as much as possible. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, that was an awesome meeting. Um, but when, uh, when you fast, what you want to do is create something that creates desperation in you so that it actually leads you towards desperation for God. So it creates a de- like an, an awareness of your dependency on God. God isn't going to be more impressed by you if you fast harder or your fast is more difficult than someone else's. Like, I mean, uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days in a desert. I mean, for crying out loud, while he was being tempted by the devil himself. Your fast isn't going to be that impressive. Uh, it might be difficult for you, but that's not what, the, like being impressive is not at all what Jesus is about. I'm not even going to ask you to like tell me what you're fasting about because I think that goes against what Jesus said. When Jesus said, go back into your room, you know, shower, shave, do your hair, dress nicely, don't announce that you're fasting. So I'm just going to assume that we're all fasting because the Bible says when you fast. And you can decide what your fast looks like. And it might be something like, I'm going to fast on Thursdays. Or I'm going to, like, maybe in your job, that's not something that's, like, if you are low blood sugar and you're operating dangerous machinery, maybe that's a bad choice, right? Maybe you fast from the radio in your car while you're driving to work and from work and you just live in silence or you drive with Jesus and talk with Jesus while you're driving. If you have a commute, that might be the kind of things that you can do. Does this make sense? So I want you to choose your own fast. But I want this to be for our church. And we're going to do these announcements on social media for the people that are already on their spring break. Um, But what we want to do as a church is during these two weeks, we're going to come away with a yes or a no on a Sunday morning, April 7th. Right? Well, I like to think it more of as a yes or a not this on Sunday morning (laughs) in two weeks. And we have no control over it. None. It's too late. We thought we could all just become members of Albany Evangelical and influence the vote, but that takes six months. So uh, if there's a no vote, we're all moving over there and becoming members. That's not what we're doing. Uh, But we are, what I want this to be for our church, like this isn't, we're praying for someone and like it's, it's a life or death situation. It really is, it's much more at the level of praying for a parking spot. Where are we gonna stick this church, Right? And we're kind of in a parking spot right now, and it's great, and we're not necessarily even looking to change. This isn't something we were looking to do. Our trustees have been having conversations, and God keeps seeming to close doors rather rudely to us. And then we had this conversation, and God seems to keep opening the doors, opening doors to where we're like, God, we're not sure we want to go through this door this fast. Okay, here we go, right? Like, (sighs) Like two weeks, that's really fast, God. You know, like maybe we can just kind of talk on the porch for a while and then go. It is fast and it is a bit scary. And what we want is to be a people 
who are completely, desperately in love with Jesus and feel that and demonstrate that. So that in three weeks we come back and no matter what the answer is, we worship like crazy people because we show up on a Sunday morning meaning it and wanting it. Does that make sense to you? Can you get behind that? This isn't like fail or succeed. We are succeeding just by getting into this process. All right? So go ahead and text that number. We're going to send you stuff. We're going to pray. This is going to be like two of the best weeks of your life uh, as you get closer to God and experience that desperation and, and, uh, and that just that um, sense of living in faith because God is holding the world and holding uh, your most powerful future in his hands. Let's stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And it's probably a good time to start singing like you mean it right now, right? <laughs> uh, like as if you weren't before. We're having a really awesome Sunday, I think. I'm just, uh, <sighs> y'all are really awesome. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it is like with like real gratitude that we come before you as a church, just that you've sustained us as a church for 10 years. And for some of us, we've been here as long as this church exists, for some of us, this is like second or third or fourth week, and we're just uh, beginning to experience this thing that you're doing among us that we just like, it's not that we're more awesome than someone else, it's just that we happen to be in a place where God's pouring his blessing out. And so God, as we move forward into this, we're going to pray this prayer that you would come and do what you can do. Come and do what only you can do. Come and only do what, like, what you can do. But in the most real way possible, Jesus, we would pray over these next two weeks that you would be here. Come, Lord Jesus, that you would, like, not here in this physical place, but here in this congregation of people that we call the Grove, here in our hearts corporately and here in our hearts individually and come and do what you can do. We announce our dependence on you and we, be, we just want to be as clear as possible, Lord, that we are desperate for only your way, for the most powerful experience of the Holy Spirit that we could ever have. It's what we want and what we pray for, starting now, and that's our focus for two weeks. But Lord, we believe this is going to be a stepping stone to what you have for us in the future. By your name we pray, amen.